0: We come before you this morning, Lord. We are thankful—not as thankful as we should be many times, but, Lord, that what you give us is indescribable. It is above anything that we can truly comprehend. And Lord, as the world in which we live seeks for joy in self-indulgence and and pleasure and and uh, Things that they can possess and hold are power, They are influence, they sway over other people. Lord, help us to find our joy in the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we ask that this time as we sing these songs, that we be able to lay aside the cares and the frustrations and the deception that is in our world and fully behold your truth and your beauty. That Lord we could worship you today in the beauty of holiness, not because of how good we are, but because of you paying the price for every sin that we've ever sinned on the cross. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in your goodness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have planned a better introduction for the sermon this morning. If if I had tried, and we'll just read those verses John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, John chapter 10, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, how many of you believe those verses? Could you just say amen this morning? The Bible tells us that Jesus' sheep, those that are truly saved, know His voice. They are in the Father's hand. They are in His hand. His hand is in the Father's, and no man can reach them. I had a person once say, well, what if I want to get out? And I'm going, uh, why would you want to get out of God's grace? Unless you never had it in the first place. Amen. And you see, our, our theme this year is living by faith. Amen. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 where you get faith. I am so glad today that I do not believe in that spark of divinity within you, that there is something good that needs to be grown or fanned into flames or grown into life and, uh, in you, that everything that we have, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But this morning I'd like to take a little different tack on this idea of living by faith. And just please don't raise your hands. Uh, Most of us have been there at one time or another. The title for this morning's message is, When Faith Fails. So I didn't think faith could fail. No, faith can't fail. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you felt like faith has failed in your life? How many of you come to a situation where there was no hope and there seemed no way out and and you were just ready to give up in despair? You know, sometimes faith cannot solve the problem. And before we start this message, I want you to understand that a failure of faith is never God's problem. It's always ours. Now, we're not talking about this thing that goes on in the uh, Benny Hinn Crusades and stuff, where someone, he'll say, do you have faith to be healed? And they'll come up and they'll say, I do. And then they don't get healed. And he said, well, you didn't have faith. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is what this book called the Bible says. And the first thing I'd like to do before we get too far into the message this morning is we're going to use biblical illustrations this morning. In fact, I could I could pull so many illustrations out of personal lives and things that I know, things that have happened in my life and, and others, But but I don't want to do that. I want to keep are illustrations from the Bible. And this is one of the reasons why I encourage you to be here for the Sunday school time, because we're going to go through... um, Let me see here, I've got three pages of notes. Wow, five different points. We could be here till tomorrow. No, we won't. Um, I want us to go through about five different stories from the Bible, and how in each one, for different reasons... It appeared that faith had failed. The last one is the one we had in Sunday school this morning. The story of Thomas. And so, to start this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. chapter 31. This was winding down the ministry of Moses the last few days of his earthly existence. And part of that was his charge to Joshua. And this is what he said. Verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, this charge Moses gave to Joshua. In just a few days, they would cross the Jordan River. The priest would take the ark. They would step into the floodwaters of the Jordan. It was that time of year when the rain, the snow had melted in the mountains up toward the Sea of Galilee. Everything was flowing over and the Jordan River flooded its banks. It was a very dangerous time to cross the Jordan River. But as soon as the feet of the priest bearing the ark of God got wet, the river stopped and they went over on dry ground, the Bible tells us. It's a miracle that God worked. How many of you are familiar with the story of Joshua and Jericho where the walls came down? And you read that very carefully. It says, Every man went straight up before him. The wall didn't just collapse and they had to climb over the rubble. The wall just sunk into the ground. It was gone. They did not have to climb over mounds of rocks while everyone was shooting arrows at The wall did not break down. It was gone. It was uh, disintegrated, sunk into the ground, disappeared. I, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly how it happened, but I'll tell you what. There was not an obstacle for the children of Israel to enter that city. Now, I just love the picture. We don't have time. To... But think of it. Here you are inside the walls. The cannons hadn't been invented yet. Battering rams were not big enough to break this wall down. This was one of the royal cities of the land of Canaan. And these stupid people from the desert were marching around the city. Once a day. And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And the walls fell down. How would you like to be one of the guards? These walls! Where do the walls go? Just a pile of dust. Rahab said our hearts melted like water. That was before the walls fell down. You see, let me just read a few verses for you. Verse 7 of chapter um, 31. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people into the, unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherited. And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee, He will be with thee, He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. A third time in this chapter, verse 23, And He gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong. This is God speaking to Joshua. Moses is dead. He says, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people that shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Verse 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now, how would you like all of these promises? You get down to the last uh, verse of this chapter, and all of the children of Israel said, Listen, as we follow Moses, we're going to follow you. Only you be strong and of a good courage all of these times. Now, how many of you know where I'm going? A.I. How many of you remember what happened at A.I.? Let's go to Joshua chapter 7. See, the walls of Jericho fell, the city was conquered. And verse 2 of chapter 7 and Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, the second battle, which is beside Beth Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said, let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So Joshua says, let's go look at the next city. And he sends the men up there and they say, boy, it's a small place. Uh, There is absolutely no reason to trouble the entire army. Let us just take a few thousand guys up there and and Ai is ours. How many of you know what happened at Ai? It says they chased them. Thirty-six men died. And they came back to the camp defeated. Now, does that sound like a failure of faith? Faith cometh by hearing. Now Joshua had heard Moses speak from the mouth of God. He had heard God speak from his own mouth. He had heard the children of Israel confirm the words of God with their own mouths. How much more of the word of God could Joshua have? He said, you are not going to lose a battle. God is going to be with thee. No one is going to stand against thee. This land is going to be yours. And they lost the battle. Now I want you to look what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 7. Verse 6, And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until even he and the elders of Israel and put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan, The Lord said, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it. And they shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? I mean, Joshua's just pouring it on here. He said, Lord, it's over. We've lost. We're going to lose the whole thing. And, and I love the Lord's answer. If you look in verse 10, And the Lord said unto him, Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? You see, Joshua thought that God hadn't kept His promise. He thought that by being obedient to the word of God, he had failed. That faith had taken him in a direction of defeat instead of the promised victory that God had set. Now, from Joshua's perspective, he had every right to believe what he was praying about. Except Joshua did something that Joshua shouldn't have done. He looked at God and somehow thought that God had gone back on His Word. Now, how many of you believe that God will ever go back on His Word? Well, good. We're in the right church because we just don't believe that here. Had God gone back on His Word? Absolutely not. But something had happened that Joshua didn't know about. Joshua had no way of knowing about it because the person that did it had done a very good job of covering it up. His name was Achan. How many remember Achan? Uh, I wish we had time to spend the whole story on this one, but we've got to move quickly this morning. Achan... As he was in the battle in in Jericho, fighting the battle, killing the enemy, uh, God had given certain direction. Anything that could be burned was to be put in the fire and destroyed. Anything that could not be burned, if it was metal, uh, gold, silver, something precious, uh, something that was uh, to be saved or, or recycled, it was to be put through the fire it was to be cleansed, and then it was to be dedicated to the house of God, to the riches of the tabernacle, to the storehouse of the nation of Israel. Achan had seen a wedge of gold. I mean, gold and silver. And the last one, it just doesn't make sense, a Babylonian garment. I've often wondered, what in the world was he going to do with a garment that was worn in the city of Babylon, possibly even by the priests that worship false gods. We don't know. But it was obviously a garment of Babylonian manufacture. Was he going to wear it at night and parade around it? He couldn't wear it during the day. Somebody would see it. In fact, he had taken these three things and had buried them under his tent. And in doing so, He had taken the members of his family and made them co-conspirators with his deed. There's a whole sermon there. Dads, be careful what you do. Because you're going to take your family with you. Achan had just taken a moment to think about the consequences. He would lead his entire family to the valley of Achor, and their death. They would be wiped out from the history of Israel from that moment forward. Their only sin was to agree with the sin of Achan. And here's what God said. He told Joshua, why in the world are you laying on your face? What is wrong with you? Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have even put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. They turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except ye destroy the accursed from Among you. Up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. There was a failure of faith because of sin. I have to ask a question. It's just something to think about. It's one of those questions that really doesn't have an answer so much. But I wonder if things might have been a little different if Achan had willingly confessed his sin and brought his deeds before the people instead of waiting until he was found out. The reason I ask that question is there's a verse in the New Testament that we've just gone over recently that says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see as you live this life you you have a choice to make. The most important decision that you will make in this life is whether or not you will confess your sin and bring your sin to God. That's how you get saved. If you don't do that, you're going to find yourself in the same position that Achan was. Even if you go to church. Even if you've been baptized in every baptistry in the whole city. Because you did not confess your sin and willingly bring it to Christ. You will be judged for your sin. And there will be others that you take with you. Just like there can be others that you take with you to heaven. If you choose to reject the gospel, there will be somebody that you take with you to hell. That's the story of Achan. Faith failed. Because Achan chose sin. Over obedience to God's word. And we all choose sin. The Bible says. For all have sinned and come short. Of the glory of God. There's an opportunity there. There's a time there. Before they went to Ai. Achan did not have blood on his hands. He could have confessed that sin. But he didn't. Thought he'd gotten away with it. And let me tell you something sin is the enemy of faith. Sin has to be removed. God cannot bless sin in your life. And people's Say, but Pastor, you expect us to live a perfect and sinless life? I wish that were attainable. I really do. It would make my job so much easier. There'd be no people problems if we had a church full of perfect people, but we don't. It'd be great if you had a perfect pastor, but you don't. But what we do have is the example of what will happen to us if we do not. Bring that sin to God. God is not going to bless you. There are many Christians who just get stuck in their life because they refuse to deal with sin. And today, we need to take this example. Maybe you're here and you're not even saved. Let me tell you, if you don't deal with sin... You will stand before God. He will find you out. He knows every sin that you've ever sinned. It's all written down in his book. I love the picture. See, when a Christian is judged, they're not judged out of the same books that the unsaved are judged out of. Because God in His great accounting has gone through and by side. Every sin that you have ever sinned is written, paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what? Your salvation does not depend upon you being able to remember every sin that you've ever sinned. It depends upon Jesus saying, it is finished on the cross. But when I go to God with everything that I can remember... He will straighten out everything I forgot. That's what it means when He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the way my preacher said it. I just ever since I put this together, I guess can't think of. Just keeps running through my head. He knows everything about me, but He still loves me. Say that's the God of the Bible. That's the salvation. That faith brings. And when it fails. It's not God's fault. It's ours. He will save you. When you come to him. But if you want to hold on. To some of this world's. Whatever it is. He's not going to bless you. He's not going to help you go forward. Until you get rid of that thing. It's not his faith that's failed. It's our obedience that has failed. By the way, you can't have faith without obedience. Amen. Uh, Those two words go hand in hand. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Now, how many of you believe that God is good? Would you say amen to that? That's the essence of faith. It says, "For Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Actually, uh, it's uh, Matthew 15. Matthew 15, I'm sorry. Matthew 15 and verse 23. We're going to look at another story where it looks like faith failed. Then Jesus went thence, verse 21, I'm sorry. Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I want us to stop here. Most of us know this story. If you're in our Sunday school, we just covered this a couple months ago. Here comes a woman. She is a Canaanite. If we read Mark's account, she's called a Syrio-Phoenician woman, a Syrian woman. Uh, a Phoenician, she's from that part of the world, Jesus is up here, she is not Jewish. And she comes to Jesus calling him by the Jewish title for the Messiah, the Son of David. And Jesus ignores her completely. How many of you have ever come to God in prayer and just felt like He wasn't paying attention at all? And then the disciples got tired of telling her to go away. Because they come to the Lord and said, Lord, you're going to have to do something. This woman won't leave us alone. Now, do you think twelve men... uh, We have Peter... The fisherman. Uh, do you think he could be a, a little on the intimidating side, especially to a non-Jewish woman who knew she had no right to approach Jesus? What about the other eleven? I, I think they could have probably put together a pretty rough-looking crew. Uh, uh, as Peter proved, uh, they weren't really prow in battle, but. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't have wanted to have to take them all on, that's for sure. But she did, and she won. And finally, Jesus comes back out and says, I'm not messing with your kind, I'm only sent to the Jews. And turns around and walks away. How many of you would believe that Jesus would do something like that? We got some idiot running around saying it's not Christian to build walls, that there's no separation in the Bible. Let me tell you something. There's lots of walls in this book called the Bible. Jesus is the great divider and the great judge. He doesn't play games. This thing of God is love and everybody's welcome into his flock. Ask the Pope what he believes about going to heaven. And he'll tell you, not unless you're a Catholic and you worship at my feet do you go to heaven. If he's the Pope, he believes that. Now, whether he's honest enough to say it or not, I don't know. But I get sick and tired of things being attributed to Christianity that are not. And I am no defender of the other guy, all right? I have no desire to have a gambler in the White House. A casino owner. All the wickedness that goes on in those places. You need to pray for this country. We are in deep trouble. But Jesus looked at this woman. In fact, in, in Mark, he said that it's not meat, it's not right to take what belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. Now, how would you like to be called a dog by Jesus? Now, you have to understand when a Jewish person uses that word, the only dirtier word is is pig. But dogs aren't far above pigs in their imagination. You know, you look at all these old Bible pictures, and there's the shepherd out in the field, and there's dogs running around. That wasn't a Jewish shepherd. They didn't use dogs. Dogs were unclean animals, they're dirty. I'm not talking about your little fifi at home, please. I'm just talking about the way it was understood in the Bible, all right? But here was this woman's answer. Could I tell you that this looks like faith that had failed? How would you like to come to Jesus and be ignored? Have the disciples tell you to go away until you couldn't stand it anymore and you just kept pleading, and finally Jesus comes and talks to you and tells you that he has no business helping you And that you know better than a dog. Why did Jesus do that? Let me tell you, there's a purpose in it. There are only two people in the entire Bible that Jesus said had great faith. This woman was one of them. She refused to stop believing in the goodness of God, even when it didn't look like God was being very good. Do you get that? You see, most of us want to believe and do believe That there's something good in me that deserves God's blessings. You know who Jesus was really trying to get the attention of? The scribes and the Pharisees. And he couldn't do it any other way. What greater example could he give than this Gentile woman... On her knees, as she looked at him and said, But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the master's table. You see, true faith does not look a thing to me, understands that there is nothing in me that God would desire. There is nothing about me that God should love or want. but He loves me because He's God. How many of you are glad today that God loves the unlovely and the unlovable? That God does not reach out to those who have something that might benefit, but that He demands that we all come before Him just as this woman did. With no sense... Of self worth, with no belief in personal goodness, with no dis- no right to stand before God and ask for anything except for the fact that He is good. Now I know this this kind. Of, you got to think about this. It doesn't happen easily. For without Faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. And that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. What better commentary can you find in your entire Bible on that verse than the example of this woman who refused to stop believing that God is and that God is good even when He called her a dog and said, you're unworthy of the least of my mercies. I preach on this often because this is something that is just totally missing today. You think Joel Osteen ever read that verse? You think he'd comment on this verse? In an honest and true way, as it was, it was demeaning. It was cruel. And yet, what it did was it put on display true biblical faith. There is nothing in me that has any right to ask anything of God. But you read the rest of the story. She got what she asked for. God was not playing games with her. You see, as a Gentile, her idea of God was so completely divorced from the truth that Jesus literally had to shake her world apart to get her to understand what true faith is. You see, the God of the Gentile is the slot machine God. Put in so many prayers and pull the handle. Well, that didn't work. Well, we'll put in that many prayers and now we'll put in that many dollars and now we'll do some good deeds and help little ladies across the street. Uh, Maybe I'll show up at church more than Easter and Christmas. Uh, That'll get God to do something. That mentality is how most people approach God. Stop and think about it. That's not the God of the Bible. Jesus had to shake this woman's world apart so that she would understand that when you come to God, you come as nothing. Because God is everything. And it's not your entreaty It's not your prayers. It's not your humility. It's not about you, my friend. Real faith is about God. We don't know who He is. We don't understand. We're so much like the Pharisees that we can't even see the difference. When they saw Jesus, they said, you being a man, make yourself God! No, he being a man is God. Amen. You see, she surrendered everything. If you remember the sermon 2 weeks ago, she paid the price of faith and got all the blessings that faith brings. Can't wait to meet her on the other side of eternity. How about you? I told you five stories, but we're going to have to skip a few if we're going to make it. Let's go to John chapter eleven. We'll spend it. this is a, such a well-known story. We'll have, we can spend just a little bit of time here. This is Lazarus. Mary and Martha had sent to Jesus in verse 1. They sent Him a message that Jesus would certainly have understood. In fact, it was so understandable that John worded it in his typical cryptic way that that if you're not careful, you might misunderstand. But in verse 3, Therefore his sisters said unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, if somebody sent that message to me, I mean, my first thought would be my wife, and then my children, and then uh, after that. I I mean, there's a list of people. These, These women, Mary and Martha, were so confident that Jesus would know exactly who they were talking about. There's no appearance here that they even signed their names. And what did Jesus do? He stayed there for four days. Lazarus was dying when he got the message. When Jesus finally gets there, he'd been in the ground for four days. Could I ask you if that qualifies for a failure of faith? Did Martha and Mary believe that Jesus had failed them? You bet they did. Both of them said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Lord, you didn't do things The way that we would expect. We know that you're a good God. And we know that you do good things. Why didn't you do good here? Why didn't you heal? All you had to do is show up. And you couldn't even do that. Isn't that what they said? I mean, Martha said even now. If you'll ask whatever you will, God will give it to you. And she made that great confession. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Only her and Peter made that confession as recorded in Scripture. That puts Martha pretty high on the scale of people with faith, does it not? And yet when Jesus said, roll the stone away from the tomb, said, Lord, you don't understand. He's been in there four days. I mean, there's some bad things that happened. I mean body's decay it's it's going to be it's going to be a terrible experience and here is Jesus' response said I not verse 40 John chapter 11 said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe thou shouldest see the glory of God then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said father i thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did, Believed on him but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done could I challenge you this morning to think about when faith fails the story of Achan faith fails because of sin God has enough Faith. There, there's enough out there to save the entire world. But Jesus said, straight is the gate, and there is a way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Paul talked about those who made shipwreck. Those who were saved. That did not finish well. That ought to be something that we pray about. When when you have sin in your life, you've got to understand it's got to get rid of now. You've got to deal with it. You cannot just leave it, go on. Faith fails because of sin. You know what? Faith fails because we think we deserve something from God. Faith fails because we think a little more of ourselves than we do of God. Faith fails. Because we get to thinking that God is somewhat less than good sometimes. Aren't you glad the Syrophoenician woman didn't? Her faith prevailed, didn't it? We don't even know her name. But we know her as one of two people in the Bible that had great Mary and Martha's faith failed because it would have been so simple for Jesus just to show up and heal Lazarus. But you see, God was interested in something much more than Lazarus. Much more than Mary and Martha's comfort. Jesus was interested in the glory of himself. The glory that belongs to God if we could somehow get Mary and Martha in here and said, I know you went through a lot as you buried your brother and mourned for him four days, but was it worth it? They would say, oh, if we could have only understood what Jesus was doing. Well, if you'd have understood what Jesus was doing, would it have been faith? You know, some people... When they read a book or watch a movie, they go to the very end and watch the end and decide whether they want to watch the movie or not. It's not supposed to work that way, folks. You see, if you can see and understand, then it's no longer faith. Because what you can see is faith. Mary and Martha had to go through that suffering and through that pain. Otherwise, it would not have been of faith. And then our last story is Thomas. We just went through his story in Sunday school. Thomas' faith failed, did it not? The tomb was empty. Peter and John gave testimony to that. The women gave testimony to that. The women had seen him. Mary Magdalene had seen him. Peter had seen him. The other disciples had seen him had all seen him that first Sunday night service. And and Thomas said, except I put my finger in the prints of the nails and thrust my hand into the spear wound in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus showed up. He didn't have to touch him. He fell on his face and said, My Lord and my God, You see, God wants you to have faith. In fact, He's done everything that is absolutely possible in the realms of God's grace and power to give you faith. But you still have to choose it. You know, as a pastor, I see and watch and people choose a path of not faith. And I see the suffering that's attached to it. And sometimes I wish I could just grab them and shake them and say, Why won't you do what the Bible says? Why can't you just believe that God is good? Period. I remember when we were buying this building. My wife remembers those times. We were $150,000 short. It was only our second payment. I mean, we only had three of them, but they were $200,000 a whack. I mean, that's pretty steep. And when you're $150,000 short, and the day that the payment is due passes, I'll tell you what, you'll start thinking some things that you didn't think Christian ought to think. And I've often done this a little tongue-in-cheek, but it was, it's very true. I found the lock on the office door works both ways. Uh, you can keep yourself in there to keep yourself from doing something stupid until God does something good. And I'll tell you what, he did. You remember, he sent one check. The only email information I had was the man who sent it said, checks in the mail, hope it helps. That's all he told me. I had no idea whether it was 500 or 150,000, which it was. I'm so glad it was. But I'll tell you, those were some dark days where your mind just runs in circles and you just wonder what God is going to do. But I remember the promises in God's Word. And sometimes He wants you just to sit still and do nothing but pray. And that's not because... He needs your prayers to answer. He needs to give you something to do that's good so you won't do something that's wrong. Are we together there on that? Do you get that point? You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you're going to have faith, you've got to get into this book. You've got to understand that it's not about you. It's about God. And God wants... His glory to be revealed in your life personally. But you got to deal with sin. You got to deal with the love of yourself. You got to deal with the fact that God's primary interest is His glory and not your comfort. But I'll promise you this. Read Romans chapter 8. The sufferings that we endure are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be hereafter. You will rejoice that you got to suffer just a little bit in this life compared to what Jesus did to give us eternal life. And you see, even when it doesn't appear... The God is God. Did Jesus look very godly as he died on the cross? How powerful did the creator of this universe appear as he was bent over that stone pillar about waist high and chained to the ground and beaten until the ground was covered with his blood? But that wasn't the sufferings of Jesus. Don't believe Mel Gibson's stupid movie. The sufferings of Jesus is when God poured upon him the wrath, the eternal wrath of Almighty God for all sin by all men. So that when Jesus cried out in triumph before he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he said, it is finished. And if it is finished, there's nothing left for me to do but have faith. And all God's people said. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would take this truth of faith. And let us not believe the foolishness that is so often peddled and called faith. Lord, maybe we have someone here today that's dealing with sin. they're unsaved. And they're trying to do enough good to get rid of their sin. Lord, that they would realize Aiken's story is in the Bible for a purpose. And if they do not come and confess that sin now, they risk the eternal judgment of Almighty God. Lord, we pray for those Christians. Because there's not a one of us that does not have sin in our lives. That we would not hold on to that rebellion, to that attitude, to that unforgiveness, to whatever it is. That we would come quickly and confess that sin to you. Lord, we pray for those that are just having a problem with themselves. We're so thankful that this woman had no problem being demeaned and put down. She understood that no human being is anything but worthless at the feet of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about you. And Lord, we ask that you would help them lay aside those hindrances to great faith. Lord, we pray for those that are suffering as Mary and Martha did as they watched their brother's body be put in that tomb and, and watch the door sealed as the decay process set in and Jesus was nowhere to be found. Lord, we pray that as you met Thomas, that each one of us would meet you through your word. that we would be convinced of the power and the goodness and the grace the forgiveness the love the holiness the beauty the kindness and yet the judgment of Almighty God we ask Lord that you would help us to have a faith that does not fail In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation.